Anyway, as we uh, get ready to go into the text, why don't we uh, go into uh, prayer? Matter of fact, it would be really good to have prayer because the enemy doesn't want us to be learning about him and what he does. Father, we uh, praise you for who you are. And we know that you're in control of everything. And as we look at this book that Holy Spirit penned through the person of Peter, we realize that this is a real walk, a real race, a real battle that we're in in this world. And we're not to worry. We are to cast all our anxieties, all of our cares to you. But at the same time, you have given us the strength to be able to uh, to fight this war. Of course, the world would like to lure us into its trap. Of course, the devil will throw all that he has against us. And then we know that really the beachhead of all this is our very flesh that lets that sin in. And so, Lord, as we look at this doctrine tonight, this teaching of spiritual warfare that many of us have heard it many times down through the years, but that we'd be reminded. Some may not have ever really thought about it, and we pray that uh, we would see the the truth in this and uh, be able to see the captain who is in charge of this war, and we go to him. He's the one who has the battle, really. Thank you so much for our leader, Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd. And just uh, help us, Lord. Protect us as we study your word and look at you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse uh, 8 is where we're at. uh, Of course, we looked at it. Last week, that was dealing with um, casting anxieties. It's talking about uh, humility. We've talked about that before a couple of weeks ago. Uh, God will exalt us at the proper time. Uh, he cares for us. And then he says, okay, verse 8, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Peter uh, has been warning them about the battles they're going to have against uh, the world all throughout this uh, whole epistle. Uh, Persecution, sufferings, and um, now he's talking about having a the, the adversary who is on the prowl that they're going to have to take on too, that they have been taking on. And he's the one who is kind of calling the shots of this persecution ultimately. Um, it says, be a sober spirit. We'll come back to that. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, your adversary, uh, he's an adversary of the good angels, He's an adversary of God. He's against Him, of course, and us as well. He's the adversary, as He says, your adversary. 
This is a legal Greek term dealing with a, a law term. It's having a, a legal opponent in a legal lawsuit. That's the technical sense of it all. So that's the word that's used there. In a general sense, it just means an enemy. You know, your adversary, that's the one you're, you're up against in court. Or just in general, you have an enemy. So you have an enemy, you better be on the alert, right? That's kind of what he starts off with here. Sober, sir, be on the alert, your adversary, your enemy. Even though you trust in God, you give Him all the cares, He says, okay, now here's what's going to happen. I'm warning you. <laughs> it's like, wow, I just gave my cares to Him. And he says, watch out. Be on the alert. You need to be alert to the enemy in general. Um, turn to Revelation chapter 12. We'll give a little bit of the uh, characteristic, the uh, nature of this enemy. might start in verse 7. There was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. Can you imagine that war? Good angels against the bad angels. I'm glad the good angels are outnumbering them two to one, right? Uh, dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authorities of Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down he accuses them before our God day and night and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Anyway, what do you have here? You have, the, the what is he known as? Well, you, you see the dragon, the great dragon, serpent, devil, Satan deceives. A lot of uh, his nature, his very character is right there. Anybody who's done any kind of study on him, you realize that uh, he's, the, he's the accuser, he's the slanderer. And, of course, that word has a maliciousness in uh, the definition. Uh, very evil. It goes beyond that. It can mean a malicious enemy who attacks. So... This enemy attacks. Or you can think of Genesis 3. Uh, Adam, Eve. Eve with, uh, with the devil in the first few verses there. And there you get slander. You say, what do you mean? Well, he's slandering God. Has God really said, right? He does it in a really nice way, but he really starts creating the doubt and that deception. And uh, a, a slander is... Uh, he, as he's talking about who God is. Look, pull back there. We go from uh, Revelation to Genesis tonight. <laughs> Covered it all. Huh? Now the serpent was more crafty, right in verse 1, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, God, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Of course, right, right there you see what he's doing, right? 
and you see that uh, he is making God say some things in his way that wasn't said. He always does that. Woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. Well, what did God say? That's what He said. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You see what He's doing, right? But uh, there's the, the master of uh, slandering and deception. You get the word diabolos. Diabolos. Yes? That's in a song. <laughs> What's the name of that song? Right? Uh, that's uh, Adam, where are you? That's right. That. I think that goes back to the uh, 70s. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you probably kind of grew up on that CD. Your mom played it all the time. <laughs> yeah. It was a tape back then. Right? It, well, that, that's true. Dude, we're just trying to keep... Matter of fact, CDs is kind of going out now. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, everything's digital, right? Um, yeah, that's good. That's, that's really what he does the most. He attacks God. He attacks His Word. Once he gets people to doubt His Word, then people start... Believing him. Well, I think another thing that you can see there is people get in trouble when they start adding stuff to the word. Mm-hmm. God said you shall not eat it. He well, never said anything about touching it. She right. added that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where did that come from, right? She added that. Yeah. Uh, eating it wasn't enough. Just touching it. Uh, she, she added to the word of God also. Doing human being. That's, and that's a good point. Whenever you have the enemy and he's doing it, and then when people start just adding to it, it sounded pretty good. It sounds right, but he we don't see that. That's not what he says. And that's that's attacking. That's attacking his word. Wow. Oh, the way that the, of course they added the traditions and then as we covered. Yeah. Something you said there one time I wrote down. Satan started out questioning God's word. Eve distorted God's word, and then Satan denied God's word. Again. As you go down through the mm-hmm. verses, yeah. Yes, and that's that's the whole seriousness of the of the matter. There, it's about the word of God, and of course, that's that's God, it's who He is, His very character, His nature. Uh, you get a lot about uh, the enemy in a metaphorical type way. Uh, Isaiah fourteen. Ezekiel 28, those are two uh, chapters that are talking about humans, but definitely can go beyond that in seeing that this is a picture of Satan in course of showing his pride. He's the ultimate one that uh, showed the pride, and of course he wanted the worship. 
as he had been leading worship in the position. You see what he does today um, in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, it's always kind of gotten my interest. Did you in, say he was the leader of worship? Yeah, if you... Um, in, in the sense that, of course, when you think of Satan and you think of his his angels, bad angels, the demons, of course, he's the leader. You think of Satan, of course, that takes in all the whole angelic, demonic realm. I mean, the demonic part of it. So it, it can be, whenever we say Satan, it could be you know part of the demonic world in itself. But he was um, quite high. Yeah, Isaiah 14... I always remember these, I think, of football scores, you know, the sevens, you know, mm-hmm. Isaiah 14, and then Ezekiel is a great prophecy book, chapter 28. So the score was 14 to 28. Satan loses. No, Yeah, he does lose. I'm not kidding about that. Um, you have the uh, the king of Babylon here. But I think that extends out even further. But if you pick it up in verse 4, it says the king of Babylon, say how the oppressor has ceased, how the fury has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers which used to strike the peoples in fury with unceasing strokes, which subdued the nations in anger, which unstrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. Even the cypress trees... Jump on down here... Um, yeah, okay. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were laid low, no tree cutter comes up against us. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, Even you have been made weak as we. You have become like us. Some of the leaders and all the ones that were in hell. And there comes the king of Babylon, and he's just like them now as he's been put into there. Your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven. Now here's where I think you can kind of see a a little bit of a build-up. At verse 12. This is kind of where it all really kind of starts more. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Go on, but there is a, a section there that's talking about fallen from heaven, star of the morning, son of the dawn. Still, yet I think very safely talking about the king, but uh, very much so is uh, an illustration of you think of, of Satan and his fall, as we read in Revelation earlier. There, um, that's Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Now this is Tyre. You remember the uh, the city of Tyre, and he's speaking uh, how judgment will be put on him. And there again, there's a 
you know, I think you see an illustration, some, a reality here, but also with an illustration that um, this is like um, where Satan is at. Uh, in verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteousness, unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by the reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. And the eyes of all who will see you, all see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. So, you have the, the running of the king of Tyre. Matter of fact, there'll be judgment on Sidon in the very next section. So the reality there, but at the same time, definitely uh, quite graphic. Yes. Uh, how could that be? I mean, how could that be really applied to the King of Tyre? I mean, it, it's parts of it look like could only apply to mm-hmm. an angelic Yeah, that's that's why I I think there too. I know some would say this has nothing to do with Satan whatsoever. But when you get in in prophecy, um, the Psalms, for instance, uh, where you have Jesus on the cross, but it's it's David, it's happening too at that time, but it's extended out to as a type of Christ. Here we have a type of Satan. Of course, there you're talking about the holy mountain, the anointed cherub, and such. So, you know, I think there's some literal terms there, quite graphic. Yeah, it, and and of course Tyre, uh, a major city, um, one of the great cities of the Gentiles, Sidon, Babylon, kings. Uh, they had their city states, and you had the kings of them. They were mighty men, uh, and they were going to be brought down. God was going to judge them, and of course they were. Uh, you can take that in reality as he uses this section to show his judgment against the nations. He's extending it to showing that these... Where do they get their power from? Who is the prince of the power of the air? Who is the ruler of this world? Satan. And of course, they take on some tendencies to, to kind of seem like Satan. you know. And, and of course, the pride that they have. They all have the pride. Uh, of course, who uh, who of the most uh, appeal to uh, the sense of uh, a prideful 
being, as this, this uh, angel. So it even talks about Eden being there. So yeah, I think there are some that are just very, very clear ringing it. But you know, it's an idea of being able to get a little bit of graphic description. You don't get a, uh, a lot out of the Old Testament, but I think in those two chapters you probably get a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea. It, it is. Uh, a perfect being uh, in the sense of no sin uh, at, at one time. Sure is. And of course, the judgment will be real. Ultimately, we know what's going to happen to Satan. But uh, God's, God's using him right now. And of course, I think uh, uh, Erwin Lutzer, Lutzer uh, did The Serpent in Paradise. I think uh, you'd, you'd read that. Yeah. And because a lot of people, and, and I was probably thinking that too at one time, and thinking, especially when I was a kid, that Satan was almost as powerful as God. And, you know, God really has a battle going on here. He really has to struggle hard, and uh, who knows, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's not a sovereign God. And, and of course, in the Luther's book, he shows that uh, he, he's a pawn uh, of God. God uses Satan. Uh, he's a creative being. That's all he is. God is the creator. And so that's that's a proper view. But to know that um, he's, as far as the, our flesh is concerned, we can't hold a candle to the power of the, those uh, angelic beings. So then you think of Second Corinthians chapter four, and knowing the kind of power that he has, what he does here on the earth, starting at verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it's covered up sometimes, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Now here we go. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He blinds the minds. And of course, the mind is one of the best things that we can possibly have. We think on God. He blinds them. He orchestrates a whole realm of demonic beings. He controls the world, world system. All at the same time, God is is the one totally controlling. He allows him to do that, but he's he's the prince of this world. And so he's orchestrating this whole environment here in this world in order to, for one thing, to devour us. And of course, we know he battles against God. He battles against uh, the angelic beings, all the other angels, the good ones. And so the devil is not alone. And he has his demons but he also has his humans and he works through humans here in this world that we live on. 
And I can think of whenever Christ was going to be, or at the time of his birth, there was a king by the name of Herod. And what did Herod do? He killed all the babies under two years old, thinking that he would be able to get the Messiah. Well, how was he inspired to do that, right? The enemy was trying to keep the Messiah from coming. You can see it as it works in throughout the Old Testament, the Davidic line. That chapter in the 12th chapter of Revelation that you read where Satan's named all these different things, that's what that whole chapter is about. It's about the conflict when Christ was born into the world and what Satan did to try to prevent him mm-hmm. uh, and how God protected Jesus as a child by sending him into Egypt. Uh, I think we miss the significance of a lot of things we talk about Tyre and Sidon and Babylon and that all of these cities did these awful things and 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 acting under the influence of Satan. That, that's not quite true. He was their king and their ruler and he was manipulating them to act like they did. Uh, we think, well, that's terrible things that Tyre did. Why shouldn't it be destroyed? No, that, that Satan in control and in manipulating them and the rest of the world in this worldwide conflict we've got between God and the devil. Mm -hmm. And that just happens to be some of his people on his side. And he is manipulating them to act like they do. Absolutely. um... We We think it, well, look at Tyre, look at Babylon, whatever you want to look at. Awful things they did. No. They didn't do it. They were under the control and influence of the devil. They were just his uh, pawns yeah. in the way they acted. Mm-hmm. Herod was just a just a pawn of the devil trying to carry out what Satan wished. You know, you know what yeah. makes me though is that Satan could sit there and think that he could kill someone. In that, you know, in that very way, it's almost—it's kind of like going. You know who God is, but He still is so stuck within His arrogance that He thinks He cannot make it. So it's same with pride that He just like, you know, He knows He's going to be cast into hell. I mean, uh, I think Luther pointed this out that He knows He's going to be cast into hell, and the more evil He does, the more He will be punished for eternity. And yet He just rushes headlong into this evil because He hates God so much. This is I'm not probably completely wrong, and I'm sure somebody's going to take offense at this. But uh, when I hear, you know, that the people were pawns to Satan, and we are today, are, I guess I get a little confused. Aren't we like all ultimately the pawns of God? In, in a way. Well, first of all, you have you have natural man in his, in his nature. Okay, dead in their sins. Of course, we were saying earlier, Ephesians 2, by our nature, you know, children of wrath. So the, the pawns, of course, we, we're servants of God. Christians are servants of God. We still uh, have to ba- <clears throat> battle the, the enemy, Satan. Right? We are not to be used by him. We're to be used by God. But he will use... And a matter of fact, most people are being used by Satan, they have no clue what's going on. 
And Christians sometimes don't realize or we forget this age-old war that's been going on that's much bigger than we can even imagine. Uh, it's a spiritual war. Something that, and it's for minds. And, and yes, he attacks Christians' minds. He'd like for us to be numb on the thing. He blinds the minds of the unbelievers, though. Like in 2 Corinthians 4. Um, and so he, he or, they're not even his enemies. He doesn't really have to attack them. They're already because of their 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 nature and because they are they are his pawns. Okay, we were rescued out of that darkness, though. Um, boy, that, that's what makes you think of God's grace. If we realize that, uh, hey, we were on the side of the enemy at one time. We all are God's. You know, we're all. Um, you're trying to say we're ultimately, even though we're upon the devil, ultimately we're under the control of God. All of us. Since we're servants, slaves. Yeah. I mean, I mean the uh, even the lost are ultimately. He's in con- in, in control. Right of this whole thing, even despite the fact of the things that we see around us. But based on what we... By the blessing of God, based upon what He gives us to choose, then... (laughs) We... um, Then we get the blessings of God. Mm -hmm. Even if we're it's on. We are ultimately going to get. Even as Christians, we hate that word. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to be anybody's pawn. I'm an individual. I'm in control of my own uh-huh. life. Uh-huh. Even if I'm a servant, a slave, a pawn of God, in my own natural ability, I don't like that word. Right. Still, the enemy yeah. has the ability There's to work. reaction it. against it. But that's who we are. Mm-hmm. Let me read you the last three verses of chapter 12 of Revelation. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. That's us. <laughs> who kept the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Just think about what happened when Jesus went into Egypt and was hid for, I don't know what, a couple of years before he came back, mm-hmm. the devil poured out his his wrath upon mankind trying to destroy. But it says, and the world, the earth, opened up its mouth and, the, uh, and protected. The Jews were spread all over the surface of the earth in a multitude of different places. They were protected. By the earth. This this chapter in 12th chapter of Revelation is one of the most glorious chapters I've ever read. How come that? And that's what makes Revelation, I think, probably my favorite all time book of any book. Well, it gives you a good synopsis of the whole realm of Yeah, it goes from Satan being thrown out of heaven, all the battle that went on. We see the victory. We hold to the commandments of God. Hold to the commandments. 
the, the, the promise and read that and be blessed and yeah. to read it. So either we're the people of the book or the people of the devil. We're the people of God or people of Satan. The ones who keep the commandments of God. One or the other. There's nothing nothing in between. Um, okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Because in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, I'm become confused now. Okay. Because... It says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And according to what you just said, Satan blinds the minds of the unbelievers. So he's the God, God of this world. Okay. Yeah. Your question, you're probably thinking, does that mean yeah, the that, one true God? Mean yeah. The eternal God. He's the, he's the small g God of this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That helps there. It's well, like in Ephesians, the, the song that we sang earlier. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad we need to bring that out because you know they're saying, "Hey, the God of this world is blinding the minds." Well, <laughs> Satan is is doing that. He's he's called the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians two, there's a prince. Jesus referred to him as the the ruler of this world is coming. He wasn't talking about him. Wasn't talking about God, but there, and we're talking about this world system. When, when we say world, um, He controls the supernatural. Demons, um, through the demons, He's controlling that. Uh, through the people, He controls the system. As Eldon just pointed out, that's what He's doing. He's using people to get this world system. And uh, whenever you look at the nations, whether it be back in history, down through the ages, all the way up to present time, he's using these men. Now, there have been some good leaders. But usually, what happens to all the nations? They become judged. They're going to have prideful uh, leaders. Uh, they're, they're inspired by Satan. Well, Scripture tells us that our battle is not with flesh and blood. That's right. Not the Boy, sometimes we forget that we too, don't we? <laughs> One more version. <laughs> Go right ahead, Elder. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. Now there's the devil, King Herod, standing before Mary uh, when she was going to give birth to Jesus. And he was Herod was wanting to destroy her child. I'm glad you pointed that out. I was looking for that where you were talking about that. Yeah. In, in chapter you go back and read wherever the account. I don't know from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The account of Jesus' birth and what Herod did. This is looking at it from an eternal perspective in the vision that God gave uh, John on the mm-hmm. Isle of Patmos. Yeah, that's good. That uh, that certainly uh, gives us a good overall view, doesn't it? Helps with that. What, what's what's going on in the world? <laughs> um, the participants, the uh, demons, the people he controls this as this cosmos is being established, and really the first strategy, the biggest strategy, I think, the supreme strategy is to oppose Christ, though. That's really who he uh, opposes. 
and of course we know he cannot he cannot win against Christ. But um, as as we said, whether it was before Christ was born there, you deal deal with Herod and how Satan's using there. Um, you can think of um, messianic uh, type thoughts. You can think of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, agent of Satan, probably demon possessed. You can think of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> you think of some, you know the, the worst rulers in the world, and where do they get all their power at? How do they get that? Hitler was supposed to have spoken with a voice that really wasn't his own. Uh, he was deeply involved with the mysticism, uh, the occult, the black monks uh, from uh, uh, Tibet. He was in contact with medium spirits, demon sources, all sorts of um, dark, black, um, demonic things were, was inspiring uh, Hitler. And who knows how many other leaders have we had that have actually done that. Of course, he wanted to destroy... Um, anything that he could that that resembled what uh, true uh, belief was. So Satan goes after um, men. Satan goes after holy angels. I think uh, there was war in heaven, as we read there in Revelation 12. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waging war, and they were not strong enough. That right there is good news, isn't it? Never will be. And so whenever he uh, first fell, he scooped up uh, a third of the angels. They agreed with his kind of rebellion. They made war with Michael, commander-in-chief there, and of course they're thrown out of heaven. He deceives the whole world as he's here. So here they are, and they're building a system of deception. Think of the deception that's going on. Well, if anybody ever has any questions about spiritual warfare or wondering what it is, well, there there it is. You have Satan, you have demons, you have children of the devil. That's the unregenerate. They're fighting God. They're fighting the holy angels. They're fighting believers. And Satan wants to oppose and attack the name of Christ. And anybody who stands for Christ, anybody who stands for His holy character and uh, anything that deals with God... True God, He wants to destroy. And so, that's what He tries to do. Anybody uh, that um, would stand for Christ, He's going to try to discredit Him. Now, if you look in First Peter, this is a good way to finish this little epistle up, isn't it? You're going to have persecution. There's going to be martyrdom. There's going to be times of suffering. And he says, don't count it to be anything strange. And then he finishes it up with this little section here dealing with the uh, the enemy. And that's really where it finally comes from. And uh, so, you know, uh, he attacks. He'll fight the believers. Of course, as Janice just said there, we wrestle. Not against flesh. But we are wrestling. I don't feel like I'm wrestling. There's a lot. Of, most of the time, I don't feel like I'm in a battle at all. But there are times whenever I can sense that there is a battle, or I can feel it, or don't worry, others have us do it. If it's not happening, that's right. But it is happening all the time. I may just kind of forget about it. I got to remember. Oh, it's the 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 warfare. All all the stuff that I'm wearing is is really the person of Christ. 
So I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is interceding for me whenever there are things going on all around me that I have no clue of what's going on because I can't see into that spiritual realm. But it's good to know uh, where we're at. And so we're, we're wrestling. We're wrestling principalities and powers through the person of Christ. It's the only way that we can uh, win. We can't take them on by ourselves at all. But uh, we have Christ as our captain. Hey, Ezekiel, we were there earlier. Go to Ezekiel 22. Verse 25. Remember, uh, Peter says he prowls like a roaring lion. Well, this is found in the Old Testament. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst like a roaring lion tearing the prey. Uh, 22-25 They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. There it's just talking about um, people... Um, well, you have a conspiracy of the prophets, but they're like roaring lions. They're trying to take their prey. What, what are they doing? They're... Um, uh, tearing the prey, devouring people. So I think Peter might have borrowed from this. or That definitely was a thought at one time. You have metaphors there. A roaring lion who prowls. He doesn't just he doesn't walk around or just kind of run around all over the place. He's prowling. And of course, when you think of Job 1, there Satan comes up to, uh, to God, reports to him, and uh, where you've been and been roaming and going back and forth on the earth. What's he doing? Well, he's restless. He's in the search for victims like a lion. He prowls like a lion. That's what he's doing. He, he roars. Tries to intimidate. Of course, that he's after that prey. You know, He doesn't want any rivals, so he wants to... Uh, Give quite the roar as a lion would do. And devour, what does that mean? Well, it's not just shouting or roaring. He eats people. Not necessarily in a literal way, but he eats them up. He devours them. Destroys them. And his whole goal is to move through this world as he's challenging Christ, also to get to people and consume them. So that and that, that idea, that thought there, a roaring lion is viciousness, a symbol of uh, evil viciousness. So Satan goes after his prey, going out to consume. His goal is to destroy, to devour, to devastate. You remember that uh, he wanted somebody like Job, the most righteous man on the earth at that time. He wants Job. Job named the name of God. He knew him. He goes after people who name the name of God. He wants to destroy them, wants to tear them up, wants to devastate them. He can't ever take salvation away. And he can take people's lives. He did. He took Job's, most of his family, his children. He can destroy lives only if God allows him. Janice. I don't believe that Satan care about Job one way or another. I don't think he cares about any of us no. one way or another. It is his way 
of trying to get back at God. He can't take God on direct. He's no match for him. So what does he do? What does God love above everything else? Mm. Just people. Mm-hmm. And so that's the chosen arena. You know, and then we don't matter to him. We're, we're nothing to... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like little rag dolls. We're his way, he thinks, his only way really, to get at God is through uh, his people. Probably through Christ's bride, right? He destroyed the bride. His bride. Yeah, that's what he did in Revelation 12. He went after all the ones who were the followers mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. I, I got another comment I've got to say. Uh, I've heard from a couple of people that lived in Africa that you don't need to be afraid of a roaring lion. He's already made the kill, and he's establishing his right to it and his territory. What you need to be afraid of is the one you don't hear. That's creeping up on you. Real quiet. That's real quiet. Because once he starts roaring, he's already made his kill, and, and he's just establishing the territory to it. What you see in the world that looks like, oh man, that's really Satan working there, and I ought to stay away from that. Watch out for your own little private sin, where the devil's sneaking up on you, because that's where the battle is. I don't need to worry, and I say this: I don't need to worry about uh, abortion. I can't do anything about that. But I can, what I need to be looking out after is a lust in my heart. I don't even see that. The lion's not roaring at me about that. He's roaring about something out here in the news making headlines. But what I'm in danger of is some little bitty something that's happening in my life. That's a little bit of value. Owen was saying that. Uh, that 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 is uh, what hardens our hearts, mm-hmm. and then that's how more sin gets in, deeper sin. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's the uh, of course that's that's the biggest thing. We we as Christians we we have the flat flesh that allows us to follow maybe some temptations of the world and such, or. We allow Satan to tempt us and whatever, but it's going to come down to our own, our own selves, where we're at, and that—that's the quietest part of it all, because <laughs> nobody even knows that, and we don't even. That's the tricky. That's the part that you don't know you've been gotten. You know, that's the how you got. How did you get so far? Very deceptive. Very deceptive. Blinding the minds. Well, Peter kind of gives us a pretty good hint here in this section. Uh, if you take the unbelievers, of course, we start with them. That's what we then. Then you come to the to the believers. To as far as they're concerned, um, he deceives them through ignorance, through through the unbelief, through false religions. Plenty of those. Love of sin, fleshly gratification, just getting whatever the flesh wants. You know, all that, all those feelings. So he deceives them by using this cosmos, this world, this system. 
allures people, invites people, all the pleasure. I mean, Christians know that too. That's that's the thing. But he comes through the same way that he always has. And John, First John talks about that. You see in Genesis 3. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And of course, he, he's always used that. When you think of the lust of the eyes, what you see, lust of the flesh, you know, what you feel, and of course, the very pride, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> I think all that's summed up in what you've got down here in the B, alert, the last sentence. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. I didn't say anything about to stand out on the front porch listening to the lion roar. <laughs> <laughs> He's finish up here we're not going to get much further but there's a there's a pretty good illustration of, of how severe the uh, enemy can work in somebody like uh, Saul if you want to turn to 1 Samuel for a moment and then we'll, we'll finish up with this part 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 12 now we know that Saul was the first king of Israel. There's the great first Samuel 16. And we know that actually God has something else in mind. He's going to be using David. He anoints him very young. And of course he's on his way up to be king. Saul's on his way down. But it's going to take a while. You pick it up in verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. We have Samuel dealing with here. Now he was ruddy, this is David, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and he went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. 
So Saul sent messengers to Devi, to, to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a jug of wine, a young goat, sent them to Saul by David and his son. Then David came to Saul, attended him. Saul loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp, play with his hand, Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. That's an interesting story. Raises all sorts of eyebrows, I'm sure, sometimes when we hear that. Evil spirit came upon Saul. And it's not that God has evil spirits and they're coming out of him, but there is the sense that this is allow, God is allowing for this to happen. If God wanted to stop these, this demonic spirit from coming there, He could have done it. But uh, Saul had already opened himself up and uh, there's access as far as this unbelievable wicked sin that uh, we will definitely see or have seen through there and some of the judgments that he makes and bad decisions and he despises the very authority of God's prophet. He becomes a dictator. Uh, he, matter of fact, even wants to become a priest. He walks in there, takes like a priestly office in a sense, thinking he can function as a priest. And he was never called to do that. He became terrorized by this demon. It's like he was demon-possessed. He became insane. He was a mass murderer. He massacred a whole group of priests, if you remember. And he was so out of control of himself, he stripped himself naked at one time, fell on a floor, humiliated himself. This is the one that was the king. He wound up going to a medium and consulting her contacting demons and ultimately committed suicide. That is the terrible story of this King Saul. And I think that uh, things that we see in our culture today, in our society, we see insanity, we see mass murder, we see occult involvement, we see suicide. And uh, I think a lot of it is demonic involvement in some manner or form. Uh, when a man becomes so base and wicked and uh, doesn't have the Spirit of God, gives place to demonic powers. And so even though those those were hundreds and hundreds of years back, um, no telling how bad man can be with really the, the help of Satan. And so we, we see the kind of story that happened there. Of course, this same kind of thing happened when Satan entered into Judas. If you remember that story. and uh, Boy, most tragic occurrence ever to take place in that man's life. Judas was whenever Satan entered into him. And uh, of course, that's attacking people who would be considered to be of uh, evil spirits. But he does attack the Christians. We don't have time to really deal with that tonight. But um, God has a purpose. And He can show the strength of salvation in it. It's, it's about who He is. As He protects His precious people, as Janice was talking about, it's really all about God. And, uh, of course, he, he can teach Satan some lessons too as, as he allows him to do some things. 
and uh, as he says, "All right, have at him," but it's really about the glory of God, and uh, Satan will not steal God's glory. Anyway, um, real practical stuff. This is this is the story. This is the story of the ages, and we can look at it as being depressing and and uh, a hard look at things, or we can look at it and say. We have victory because our captain is the winner. He is the victor, isn't he? He is the triumphant one. And if we're looking to him and casting our cares upon him, then, and we didn't get into it really too much tonight at all, but um, that's, that's why Peter gives the instructions about being watchful, being alert. Um, because the things that we just talked about, we better have a sober spirit. We better be true to who we are, who we claim to be. Be on the alert because the attacker is always looking to um, get at Christ and he'll use anybody he can. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the input. There's a lot of. This is part of the story. This is the story. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. Thank You for the knowledge that we know who the enemy is. Thank You that we know who the triumphant one is. And Lord, You are the one who has delivered us out of that darkness into Your marvelous light. May we be lit up by the very Word of God, Your promises. Be filled with Your Spirit being able to live through this awful world so that we can glorify Your name in whatever way we can. Praise You for all things. Amen. Amen.